May your spirit teach us and move in our hearts and minds that we may know the truth. And may the truth set us free. To your glory and to our blessing we pray. Amen. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. It is my pleasure to be speaking about this topic on pleasure. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Now, my opening line, I hope, did not make any of you uncomfortable. But there are people, there are people and some of whom are Christian, who have the mistaken idea that to be Christian is to shun pleasure. Uh, That Christians are people who are not supposed to enjoy life and who go around looking as if they are having constipation. But consider Psalm 68. It says, But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. God desires for his people to be happy and joyful. Have a look at what Deuteronomy 14 says. It's uh, not up there, so you need to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 14. Uh, it's, it's so good that I want you to open and see it for yourself. Okay. Now, Deuteronomy 14 is talking about tithing in verse 22 onwards. So in this series of uh, you know rehearsing the law again, Moses reminds them of what uh, God had taught. And in verse 22 of chapter 14, he says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But, if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God, and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, verse 25, then exchange your tithe for silver, and take the silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Okay, so what are you supposed to do with a tithe? They're supposed to exchange it for silver, and then go to the place where God has designated and then verse 26, use the silver, okay, this is what they're supposed to do with their tithe, right? Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Yeah, is that in the Bible? Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then, what's the purpose of all this? Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. In other words, one of the functions, one of the things that they're supposed to do with their tithe, God commands them to take the tithe and go and have a party. So, we shouldn't feel guilty about our, you know, uh, end of year dinners or welcoming dinners God actually commands his people to use the money set aside for him to have a good time in his name, in his presence, and rejoice with his people. Does it surprise you? 
that the God of the Bible wants his people to actually have a good time? It shouldn't. It shouldn't because we need to realize that every pleasure, every single pleasure has been created by God. Every last one. No pleasure, not a single pleasure has been created by the devil. The devil, the devil doesn't, he, he cannot create pleasure. All he can do is take the pleasure that God has created and distort it, manipulate it, uh, abuse it, pervert it for the use of his own ends. So the point is, God cannot possibly be against pleasure because he created pleasure. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you catch that? God richly, not stingily, he richly provides us with everything. And what does everything mean? Everything means everything for our enjoyment. He gives us family and friends. We are supposed to enjoy family and friends. And one of the shocking things to me when I came back from Australia, I came back to Singapore after being four years in Australia, having dinner, it was one of our first times out at a restaurant as a family, a pizza place, and this family came and sat down, and after they ordered, son and daughter, father and mother, both turned their attention, not to each other, respectively to their iPads and to their iPhones while waiting for the food to come. And then when the food came, they put it aside a bit, adjusted the plate, put the pizza and continued looking at the iPhone and at the iPad. Might as well order in. Why pay service charge if you're going to do this? He gives us family and friends. So put away the phone. Don't be talking to your friend like this. No, don't do that. God gives us family and friends to enjoy. We enjoy each other's company. He gives us food and drink to enjoy. Do you realize that God didn't have to make food? He didn't have to make eating pleasurable? Everything could taste like oatmeal. You know, just, just have different nutritional value. But, but God made it pleasurable. God also gave us sunrise and sunsets to enjoy. But the thing about sunrises, you know, enjoying the pleasure of a sunrise is that for those of us who enjoy the pleasure of sleep more, then it's very difficult to enjoy the pleasure of a sunrise. Uh, sleep is also something that God gives us to enjoy in moderation. So this is just a small selection of the everything that God has richly provided for our enjoyment. You see in your outline there that the first two points are godly pleasures, ungodly pleasures. Now what's the difference between the two? Because God has created every single pleasure. Satan created nothing. He can only 
distort, pervert, and abuse. Godly pleasures, then, are those that are used and enjoyed according to the way that God intended. Godly pleasures are those that are used in the amount that God has intended. Whereas ungodly pleasures are used and enjoyed contrary to all that God intended. Now, I'm sure that much is obvious. But 1 Timothy 6.17 actually points us to a more fundamental difference between the two. Because Paul says, put your hope, put your hope in God, and then enjoy what he richly provides. Your hope, your trust, put it in God. And then what he gives, you can enjoy and find pleasure in. That's godly pleasure. But ungodly pleasure is when our hope and our trust is not put in God, but put in the thing or the person or the experience that gives us that pleasure. And the word that the Bible uses for this is idolatry. Idolatry. Romans 1.25 puts it this way. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. You see, idolatry is a worship disorder. God created us to be worshippers of Him. But instead of worshipping Him, we have all worshipped and served created things. Idols. Now what I want to do is look at a few examples of how godly pleasures has gone wrong. How it has been turned to idolatry instead. So the first one, let's look at food. And we've already seen that food is, is, a, is a great pleasure that God has given. He is, he is the one who created taste buds. And he graciously made the eating of food a pleasurable experience. So in what way does it go from being a godly pleasure to an ungodly pleasure. When we go from enjoying with thanksgiving the food that God has richly provided, go from that to looking to food. Looking to food to do what only God can do. And that becomes idolatry, that becomes an ungodly pleasure. How do we do that? When we wake up in the morning, what gets us excited? It's not, uh, you know, what gets, what, what gets us out of bed, you know, the thing that makes the difference. What gets us excited is not how I can please God and serve Him today, but that today I'm going to try the new chicken rice store. When we are feeling down, instead of intentionally and concretely turning to God for comfort, instead we turn to comfort food. Instead of going to the comforter that Jesus promises will come, we turn to our comfort foods. We turn to food, to comfort food, to do what only God can do and what only God should be doing. So that's food. Let's look at alcohol, or as the Bible calls it, wine. And again, this is a good and pleasurable creation of God, although uh, for myself, personally speaking, I, I don't enjoy this pleasure. Uh, not that I have anything against it, I just don't like the taste of it. But 
God has created it, and for some people, many people, it is something that gives them pleasure. Uh, in fact, Psalm 104 says that it is uh, wine that gladdens the heart of men. And Jesus in Cana at the wedding, he turned water to wine. Like 600 liters of water to wine. And it was for the people to drink. Okay, So they had nothing. God and Jesus had nothing against people consuming and enjoying wine. But again, this is something that Satan manipulates and perverts. Let's see how he does it. Turn to Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. Verse 29 says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. Who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red when it sparkles in a cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Do you see? Do you see the pathetic state of this person? This person has has woe, he has strife, he has has needless bruises, he has bloodshot eyes, he's he's uttering nonsense and having hallucination. He's even getting beaten up, but he's so drunk, he doesn't feel it. And yet, and yet, When he wakes up, what does he want? Another drink. When he wakes up, he wants another drink. Why? Of all the things. When he wakes up, he reaches for another drink. Why? Because the God that he serves is alcohol. The idol that he worships is wine. And what we need to realize is is why. Why he keeps turning back again and again to this idol. Because the idol, as all idols do, keeps making promises. The idol promises to help him. The idol promises to deliver him from all his problems. The idol says, Come, come to me, and I will bless you with joy and satisfaction. You... You, you can't relax, you, you can't sleep at night, come to me, I will help you. I will help you sleep and I, I will take care of all your problems. I can do for you what God cannot. The idol makes all these promises. But it's a lie. It's all lies, it's empty promises. Now, there may be, in a room like this, some of you who struggle in some way or other, with alcohol. Maybe it's the tendency to overindulge. Or maybe it's the tendency when you're feeling down. You have the habit of turning to alcohol for help. Please realize that you are flirting with danger. Open your eyes. Be aware of what's happening. 
the idol of alcohol is trying to claim your heart. It is trying to get you to bow down and serve at the altar of it. By telling you lies. Making empty promises. So open your eyes to what's actually happening. Hear the wisdom of the Bible and run away. Run away from the danger. Don't flirt with it anymore. So there's food, there's wine, and there's sex. And can I say, from the bottom of my heart, that sex is good. Sex, sex is great. It is a wonderful gift of God to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in a context of a lifelong commitment to each other. Marriage. And that is the way, that is the only place that God has intended this pleasure of sex to be enjoyed. So God, again, he creates this, this wonderful and beautiful thing called sex, but Satan perverts it. Satan perverts it and turns it into adultery, fornication, pornography. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Do you see that? What's that? What, what, what's dripping from the lips of the adulteress? It's honey. What's honey? Honey, honey tastes good. It's sweet. It's, it's again, it's the lie. The adulteress, from the mouth of the adulteress, from the smooth words of the adulteress comes lie trying to entice and lure people in with the lie. The lie? The lie. The lie that is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. You will have a great time. You will be completely satisfied. You need this. It's going to be wonderful. You will regret it if you walk away. Sexual sin makes all these promises. But in the end, can it deliver? Look at verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Now what does that mean? that her steps lead to the grave. In the end, she is bitter as gall. What does that mean? What does it look like in real life? Well, verse 8 to 12 tells us and flashes it up. Verse 8. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. What's that? All your strength is gone. Your, your wealth, your possession goes to someone else. And verse 11, At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. What's that? That's at the end of your life you are dying of some sexually transmitted disease. 
you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. This, this, without holding back any punches, the Bible is very clear, this is what happens to the person who offers his body as the living sacrifice on the altar of sexual sin. Now let me clarify. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing, there's nothing sinful about enjoying the pleasures of sex. Just have to do it as God intended in the, in the loving, lifelong commitment of marriage. That's the place to enjoy the pleasures of sex. And the Bible has such wisdom on this. Now further on, in chapter 5 of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 5, is my favourite passage in all of Proverbs. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public public squares. Now what's all this cisterns and wells and um, springs and streams? They are, respectively, Uh, the metaphor for female sexuality and male sexuality. Okay, so um, it's a bit hard to handle, but that's what the Bible is saying. Verse 17, these things, right, these things, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. Now, is this where we get um, our affectionate term for our spouse when we call them dear? Dear, can you come here? Dear, can you help me? You know, when you do that, let you, uh, may you be reminded of this passage, that your spouse, your wife, is a loving doe, a graceful dear. May her breasts, may her breasts, yes, I did say that because the Bible says that, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? <clears throat> you see, there's a call. There's a call here to rejoice in your wife. Nice. Married men. There's a call here to be captivated only by her love. There's a call here to find satisfaction in her and her alone, in her breast, in her body, in in all that she is to you. Now notice that the Bible doesn't say it will just happen. You know, you know, romance will just take over and it will happen. No, there is there is the notion here that it takes work. It's intentional, right? You must direct your mind and your heart not to other women, right? Because it doesn't say. Find joy in the female form in general. No. It says, be captivated by her. Her body. Her alone. Her breasts satisfy you. Not breasts in general. But her breasts. It's a deliberate act, deliberate and intentional thing to find satisfaction in her alone. But if some of you men here, and I know there are, who are not married, What a wonderful privilege for you to be hearing this wisdom now. Because you must realize whenever 
you click on that website. Wanting to enjoy the passing pleasures of pornography. What's happening is that you are allowing your heart to be captivated by another woman. Yes, you're not married, but if in God's kindness you should be married. But at that moment when you're turning to pornography, you are allowing your heart to be captivated by an adulteress, by the bosom of someone whom God did not intend for you to enjoy. Why be captivated by another woman? God wants you to be captivated by the wife that he provides. Now there's application to women as well. So the implication, the flip side of the wisdom here, is that, sisters, you are to intoxicate one man, and one man alone. Not to dress and act and speak and touch, trying to captivate many men. No. Your actions and and your effort must be to captivate one man. Why be captivated by the adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of one that God did not intend? Why believe the lie? Why believe the empty promises? It will not be wonderful. It will end terribly. It will not ultimately satisfy. It leads only to death. Hear the wisdom of the Bible. So, it's godly pleasure. There's ungodly pleasure. God richly provides everything for us to enjoy. Godly pleasure. But because we are sinful, because we are sinful, we keep turning back again and again to ungodly pleasure. So how? How? Okay. Try not to. And then so you say, I'm trying already. Try harder. Try harder not to. Okay, it's my job to tell you. Try harder. Is there anything better that we can say? The third point. God's pleasure. God's pleasure. I want to tell you a story from Greek mythology. It is a story of Ulysses, and Ulysses was sent to recapture Helen from Troy. As you know, Helen was taken away from a city by uh, Paris in this adulterous relationship, and so Ulysses was sent to Troy to capture her back, and you know, it always ends badly. The whole city of Troy was destroyed, right? So he recaptured Helen successfully. And on his way back, he had to sail past the sirens. The sirens. The sirens, the sirens lure, lure sailors to them with their beautiful singing and with their, with their outward beauty. And they, when the sailors come closely, come closer, the, the boats get, uh, shipwrecked on the hidden rocks. And then the sirens who are cannibals will consume their flesh. So they lure them in with their beautiful song and their outward beauty. And then when they come close enough, get shipwrecked, they get eaten. See, it never ends well. It never ends well. And so Ulysses, 
had been won. Okay? And when he and his ship near the island, he ordered his crew to take wax, put it in their ears, and he commanded them, do not look to the left or to the right, just look straight ahead and roll, roll for your life. Okay? But because he was curious, because he was curious and foolish, he told his men, okay, tie me, tie me to the mast. Okay? And whatever I do, whatever I say, don't listen. Okay, until we are safely away. Okay, because he wanted to hear the song. And what happened next was that Ulysses was utterly seduced. He was utterly seduced by the songs of the sirens. And if he wasn't tied to the mast by ropes, he would surely have succumbed to the invitation and gone to them. Although his hands were restrained, his heart was captivated by their beauty. Inwardly, he said, yes! It was just that outwardly, he was restrained by the ropes. And friends, sadly, sadly, this is the way many Christians live. Our hearts yearn, yearn for the passing pleasures of sin. And we struggle through life trying to say no. Trying to say no to sin. Not because our hearts hate the sin, but because our, our hands have been restrained by the, the fear and the shame of being found out, by the possible reprisals of, of committing that sin. Another story. <clears throat> Jason, again another character of uh, ancient mythology, he and his men also faced the temptation of the sirens. But his solution was completely different. He brought with him Orpheus. And Orpheus was an extraordinary musician, right? extraordinarily gifted. And when they approached the island, Jason didn't tell his men to pluck their ears. Instead, he told Orpheus, play your most beautiful music. Play it loud. Play your most beautiful music. And the sirens didn't stand a chance. Jason and his men paid no attention to the sirens. Why? Because they were captivated. They were captivated by the music played by Orpheus instead. What they heard from Orpheus was far sweeter, far more noble, far more soothing. And so they didn't give in to the temptation posed by the sirens. And the question is, the question is, is there anything like this in the Christian life? Where we, may, where we say no to sin, not because of some external restraint, but where our no to sin is heartfelt because we have heard the sweeter sound. And the answer, dear friends, is yes. Yes, there is. And the answer is God himself. God himself is the answer. The way to fight against giving in to the passing pleasures of sin is to fight it by enjoying the superior pleasure that God gives. The way to fight the seductive power of ungodly pleasure is with a greater pleasure. 
a more pleasing and lasting and superior pleasure. The pleasure of knowing God. Listen to what Psalm 16, 11 says, which you all read together. <clears throat> you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In the presence of God, there is joy, there is eternal pleasures forevermore. That's why, because this is true, because this is true, that's why God commands, He commands us to do this in Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. It's a command. It's a command to delight ourselves in him. Friends, you see, the thing that we need to point out, that we need to um, say so that it's obvious, is that no one sins, nobody sins out of a sense of duty. Nobody goes, eh, ayah, 10 o'clock already. And I've only sinned three times. Must make it ten. Oh, yesterday my quota so low. I, you know, I've got I to improve it somehow. No one sins because they feel they have to. We sin because we enjoy the pleasure that a sin gives. We sin because it feels good. We sin because we have developed the taste for the passing pleasures of sin. And so it won't work for long. <clears throat> It won't work for long if all we do is just grit our teeth and make a determination to say no. It will just depend on willpower. Of course, we must say no. But the point is that lasting obedience will only come if there is something more enticing that we say yes to. In other words, our no to sin is energized by a prior yes. To God. <clears throat> I've got this on the slide so that you can uh, hear it as well as read it. Uh, what John Piper had to say. When I begin to crave some illicit sexual pleasure, the sword swing, this is uh, what he refers to is uh, the, the, the word of God that comes to his rescue. The sword swing that has often severed the root of this promised pleasure, of this illicit sexual pleasure, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5 verse 8. I recall the pleasures I have tasted of seeing God more clearly from an undefiled conscience. And I recall the brevity and superficiality an oppressive aftertaste of sin's pleasures, and with that, God has killed the conquering power of sin. He remembers that what God offers, far superior, far sweeter than anything that sin can give, even just for a moment. Because he remembers that surpassing pleasure that God offers, he can say no. To that present temptation. And it is something that Paul also recognizes. And we, we read this in Colossians 3. I invite you to turn 
to Colossians 3 to look at this again with me. And we will end with this. You notice there in verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, he tells them to put these things, put these things to death, do away, say no, right? Say no, say no to these things. But, before he tells them to do this, what has he told them? Look at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He tells them, you have been raised with Christ. And what that means is, you have now been given life, you have now been given the ability to see and savor. You now have access to Christ, to see and enjoy these pleasures that only God and Christ can give. It's a bit like, now that I've married Maria, I have access to my mother-in-law's cooking. Because I am now her only and favorite son-in-law. And so I have access to her cooking. But it's like instead, of, instead of going there, instead of enjoying the pleasures of her cooking, I eat McDonald's instead. Okay. In order for this illustration to work, you must have the same hatred of McDonald's, the same distaste of McDonald's as me. Some of you may not have, but that's because you haven't eaten my mother-in-law's cooking. We'll try and, we'll try and uh, correct that wrong when she's back here. But you see, we've been raised with Christ, we've been given access. Now we can see and savor and enjoy. And so Paul tells them, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Before Paul calls us to put these things to death, he calls us first to have our hearts and minds captivated and controlled by the beauty and majesty of the risen Christ. Paul knows that the heart and mind that is entranced by the risen Christ is not easily seduced by earthly pleasures. So friends, how do we overcome our enjoyment of ungodly pleasures? By our enjoyment of God. We minimize our delight in the pleasures of the flesh by maximizing our delight in the superior and greater pleasures of God. Let's pray together. O oh God, may you, by your grace, enable this to be increasingly true of us. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Father, give us an appetite for true and lasting and superior pleasure in yourself. And Father, even when we fail, when we fall, when we succumb again, help us to run to you in Christ because of what you have done for us in our Lord Jesus. 
we can return to you, we can repent, we can have you help us and uh, once again enjoy the pleasures that you give. And Father, in, in running to you, in, in, in being reminded of what the gospel has achieved, help us to see a fresh and an increasing way the beauty of the gospel, all that you've done for us and have that taste for you and develop the hatred of sin. Please do this to your ever-increasing glory. Amen.